Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology, consulting, and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. There is no question that the economy will feel long-term effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. When the U.S. government stepped in to offer forgivable loans to small businesses amid a much larger stimulus package, there was a lot of hope. $349 billion were set aside for small businesses under the Paycheck Protection Program, and this was supposed to be first come, first serve. Unfortunately, many of these loans went to the larger of the small businesses, which we'll talk about in just a second. As of this recording, the second tranche of monies, $320 billion in funds, has come out for small businesses and is intended, again, to go to small businesses to keep them going. And from this set of monies, $60 $60 billion was set aside for loans through small and community development financial institutions, which reach more mom-and-pop shops, if you will. So let's talk about the Paycheck Protection Program loan program that came out under the COVID-19 um, stimulus package and the second tranche, some of the problems with the first um, disbursement, and what we hope will happen in the second Our intention today is to give you some usable, practical information and also to think about what we're doing when we're trying to stimulate the economy. Oof, what a show this is going to (laughs) be. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I think and we've all had our own experiences with the PPP process, either by helping small businesses that we advise go through it, looking at it ourselves and really just trying to identify you know, some of the positive things that have come out of this and then some things that systemically have to change. And I would say just ultimately, just from a small business and kind of economic perspective, this has been the biggest triage effort that we've all seen to date. Um, We've seen some people receive money and Aurelia, you were one of those and would love to talk about your experience and some folks who who didn't, even if their businesses are doing doing great. Um, You know, for me, you know, there are a few things that this comes down to. And, like you know, looking at uh, as, a, as a consummate consultant, right, looking at the process side of the business, the technology side of the business, and then the people side. And on the process, one of the things we found that there really wasn't one. And so we saw banks, both big and small and community banks, as you referred to, really trying to figure out in a very short matter of time, how to put a process in place for their current customers and then serve their uh, larger constituency. 
on the technology side, we saw some businesses, some banks. Um, I'm part of uh, Bank of America, and I helped a few people go through the Bank of America uh, process. While their intake technology was seamless and people were able to get through the intake within five to 10 minutes, the process piece was not, not uh, how do I say this? It wasn't as effective, I think, as they wanted it to be. And on the people side, and Norelia, I'd love for you to talk more about this, we saw there were some banks that did an exceptional job really answering the questions of their the small businesses that uh, went through their bank as a process, were able to walk them through, make sure they had the right documents, and ultimately get them to funding. And so again, kind of we looked at the process, the technology, and the people side. And this has been, you know, you can look at it in so many different ways and blame banks, you can blame systemic issues. Ultimately, I think we're at a crossroads and we're seeing a transformative process happening just in uh, small business and in banking alone. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm absolutely happy to share kind of my personal experience as we go on with the show. I mean, I think part of what we try to do when we're talking about conversations like these is put it in perspective, right? So if we look at the U.S. as a whole, and obviously startup businesses are a subset of small businesses, but, you know, 99.9% of all businesses in the U.S. are characterized as small businesses. Now, that definition is a pretty broad definition, right? Because the SBA says small business might have up to 500 employees and they might make tens of millions of dollars. So that's a pretty large definition. But we know that 80% of small businesses have just one employee. And for African-American-owned businesses, that percentage is closer to 90% of all African-American-owned small businesses. And that's from the Urban League um, statistics. So if you think about those numbers and who we think this dollar, this you know, monetary stimulus was intended to go to, we're really talking about um, businesses that are much smaller. And if you look at kind of uh, U.S., averages, the average small business owner makes less than $100,000 a year. So that was kind of who the monies, I think, as they were put together, were intended to go for. Um, But the New York Times reports that large banks really preferenced their much larger small businesses, right? So that overall loans of more than $1 million made up just 4% of those approved, but they took up almost 50% of all of the dollars dispersed. Yeah. And and Aurelia, to that point, you know, the average loan size for the first pool, I think where I read um, was around $206,000. And then there were a good portion of those loans were approved in excess of 5 million or more. So again, for the folks that we typically support and help, uh, the loans that they're looking at are are below the 206,000 dollar mark. So that's that's really kind of both sad and scary for um, kind of how the program was intended to work. And I think in the second tranche, I would imagine they put in a lot of safeguards to try to make sure that that, that didn't repeat. Yeah, and, you know, I think to your point, this was meant to help the 7.5 million U.S. small businesses that <clears throat> unfortunately are at risk of closing permanently, right? right? right. And so um, not just closing, but you know, that includes laying off people and the, the tertiary effects of that, the, the people out of work, the impact of their families, their children, just the economy in general is obviously devastating. 
Um, obviously, the first tranche and what we saw was that there were a large percentage of publicly traded companies. I think the number I heard was around 134 publicly traded companies received funding. We saw Shake Shack and others, um, Ruth Chris, that received the funding and ultimately uh, gave that gave their funding back. Um, I want to be sensitive to say, you know, from small business to large business, every business is suffering. Yes, for sure. Um, small business are just suffering a bit more because because of the impact that it has on um, on their employees. I mean, I think uh, collectively we know several small business small businesses who've had to lay off staff um, or and or furlough a large percentage of their employees and some of those are able to continue with health benefits for those that are eligible. Um, but it's just been a devastating and educational process to date. And I think, I mean, the reason that we kind of came up with this show was specifically to talk about community banks. So I was, mm-hmm. um, and actually still am, I, we still have a business account at a large, you know, one of the, the big named banks. Um, that will remain nameless for this particular episode. (laughs) Uh, And as I was trying to go through the process of applying for a PPP loan, um, we started losing clients as the the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, caused the shutdown and so forth. We thought, well, let's, let's at least put ourselves in queue. Let's figure out what we need to do to do this. And we weren't even able to apply. Um, So we were able to put our name in our name and email in to say yes, to raise our hand. And literally this was right after, right after the the funds dropped, right? Um, to say, yes, we were interested, but we weren't getting any response from the bank. And the bank specifically said, don't reach out to us. Don't call us. We'll call you kind of thing. Um, and in their defense at this point, you know, many of the banks had, yeah, many of the banks actually had to hire new employees, right, to actually satisfy the influx of applications and business to support this. So that goes back to the, um, you know, the process piece of this is that some banks weren't ready for this, no matter how big they are or were, some banks were just not ready for the influx. So that just goes to that point that you just mentioned. Christina, you make an excellent point, which is this whole experience is unprecedented, right? On all sorts of different levels. And so how could a bank, any bank, possibly be ready for this? Um, You know, Congress was trying to get this out as quickly as they could because they knew it was needed. Banks were kind of scrambling to try to do the best that they could. Um, And obviously, you know, some things happened that we can definitely critique. And at the same time, I think it's really important what you state, which is, this was a really hard situation for everyone. It, it was. And, you know, my, my personal business bank is Bank of America. Now, while I didn't apply for a loan, um, I did read, you know, in the Business Insider that, you know, there are 3,000 um, staffer employee, employees. They actually had to redirect them to focus on this influx. And they hired about 700 mm-hmm new financials and advisors that were in training, right? So these folks didn't even go through the, the normal onboarding that uh, Bank of America did uh, normally has. And so they had to redirect. And so again, it goes back to those three points of process, uh, technology, and, and individuals. Now, the, the good thing is that Bank of America did have a technology solution, again, at least on the intake side. I, I can't speak to the back end. 
um, that made it easier uh, in cases, and at least the people that I know who applied, that made it easier for them to upload their information if they had it and, and to put their themselves into the, um, at least the pipeline. Well, I can only exp- uh, talk from my experience. Wells Fargo hadn't opened up at the same time as all the other banks did. And by the time they did open up, when I went to go to apply, pretty much the the loans were gone. The, and so they, they weren't accepting any more applications. So I don't know exactly what happened with that. I've heard and read different things. Um, I've heard from friends, I've read online. Um, there were some problems with Wells Fargo um, accepting those applications due to um, the history of fraud that they had in the past. Um, so now I'm looking towards a, you know, to work with a community bank. Yeah. And so I think that actually is a good point to kind of segue into. So the first round, it was painful <laughs> for everyone, right? It was launch rollout and just exhaustion across, uh, you know, just for small businesses, for businesses in general, for, for I think everyone involved. And again, this goes to a systemic issue that I think is permeating through the small business community. And we've got to figure out how to adjust. We've got to figure out what not only the new normal is, but as a business, you know, building that relationship with your banker is really critical. There are now new policies, there's new buckets of money, there's new ways of financing, there's new, you know, even just when you think about individually, kind of the flexibility that you need uh, in coming up with your financial portfolio, you want you want to make sure you're in partnership with a bank that can truly support you. And with the huge backlog that uh, exists right now uh, through the PPE from phase one, now getting ready for this phase two, which I'm can't wait to see what, what happens. I think some banks have adjusted uh, fairly quickly to it. Others, I think we might see some of the same challenges, um, but there, there's not going to be enough money to go around, right? There's just not. And so what can our listeners who are typically smaller, the smaller businesses with the, um, you know, maybe it's a sole proprietor with 1099ers or it's, you know, a small company that has less than five or 10 employees, what are some things that they should be thinking about? And I mean, I think, Christine, you make a good point that, you know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen this next round, but I can definitely tell you my experience from the first round is <clears throat> um, I didn't, I, I, you know, the big bank that I bank with that our, that our business bank account was with and that we've been with for years um, wasn't, I wasn't getting response there. I wasn't getting any kind of ability to move the, the, um, the ball forward, nor was there any option to talk to anybody. So I got on the SBA site and I said, okay, what banks in my area are affiliated with SBA and can give me an SBA loan? And I went to 13 different banks' websites around me and started checking out their websites, figuring out how I can get in touch with, making phone calls and sending emails. And throughout this process, um, almost all of the large banks said if they if you didn't have a current business banking relationship with them, they could not help you. And which makes sense, right? They're going to prioritize their current clients. Um, and, you know, back to the New York Times article we were referencing before, um, what we understand is that they were also not only preferencing current clients, but very large clients. So clients that were um, that had a larger um, business portfolio with them. 
okay, great. So then I started reaching out to different banks again, just from the SBA website. I just started sending emails <laughs> and I sent out an email to Main Street Bank. Now, this is an interesting story because I'd actually not only um, had an interaction with Main Street Bank, one of the bankers prior, but I'd also been at an event of Hispanic business leaders, leaders that Main Street Bank had hosted last year sometime. So I'd, I'd kind of met some people over there. It was kind of interesting. So I sent out a message to Main Street Bank and I got an email back and said, um, we are prioritizing our current customers, but we will take applications from new customers if you're willing to move your business banking over to us. You know, would you be willing to do that? And then we can have a conversation. And so I spoke with my business partner and she said, sure, that would, you know, that would be reasonable. That's a reasonable request. And so we started the process. And um, I think from process to funding was a couple weeks. So that was really encouraging. But here's the really interesting thing is that I spoke with their chief lending officer and he told me kind of what they had done internal to the bank to deal with their very heavy influx of loan applications, just like I would imagine every other bank out there, right? And the larger banks are getting hit with more people because they've got more customers to deal with. And they went through all of their customers, Main Street Bank, and made sure that, you know, folks who could, who wanted loans could get them, figured out how to get the money, the the documentations through. Um, but he also said to me that they processed literally the amount of two years worth of loan applications in 13 days, which is incredible. So I think part of what this is saying to me is that there's a real opportunity to have a relationship with community banks that perhaps folks in our community haven't had before. And Aurelia, I have to agree with you because I think I'm just going to speak from my uh, experience in growing up. Um, I just wasn't taught um, to have a relationship with a bank. Um, and I might be the reason why some other small black owned small businesses are in the same boat as that I'm in. I just wasn't taught to, taught to do that. But now because of this experience, because of the pandemic and I'm trying to seek these funds, I'm realizing how important it is to have a relationship with your banker. And, um, I'm rethinking uh, about moving my account to a, a community of bank uh, for this very reason. And so that I can get the more one-on-one -on -one attention from the banker um, and as well as be able to use some of the resources that uh, other businesses use uh, with, with their banks. And in case anybody is wondering what we mean by community banks, <laughs> We didn't really define that at the beginning. Um, a community bank is generally a locally owned and operated financial institution. So by definition, they're a smaller institution. They do address the needs of a community by offering loans to small business owners or personal loans to individuals. But their business model is very different than the larger banks, too. So um, if you are interested in kind of getting funding through these the PPP program, we would encourage you absolutely reach out to the bank that you have the relationship with right now. But if you don't already have a relationship with a community bank and you're not getting the response you need from your current bank, then don't hesitate to reach out. Um, because I think while we don't want to place blame, you know, I also during, you know, the time that I was going through and trying to find funding, I wasn't going to wait. Like I couldn't be like, well, I'm going to give my bank the benefit of the doubt and I'm just going to sit here and wait. 
Um, and that's partly just my personality. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to let anybody else, you know, be responsible for what's going on in my business and my livelihood. Right. Um, so I kind of really pushed forward and I, that's just kind of part of my personality, but I would encourage people to be careful that they're not just waiting, assuming that yes, in fact, they're going to be in queue if, if they're not, um, because we don't want anybody that we know or any of our listeners to lose their business because they don't have the funds to make it through. And right now we really don't know how long the lockdown's going to be. We don't know how long the economic fallout of the pandemic is going to last. There's a lot of unknowns. Yeah. And, and I think from my experience, just in helping a few uh, companies apply for these loans. Um, so one, you know, when you are looking for a bank, you know, uh, and take kind of the COVID um, challenges out of this. I think a few things are really key in selecting a bank and a bank partner. One is self-service. So can you access and get the information that you need from any device anywhere? Uh, can you access the information that you need? Do you know, um, you know, what questions to ask? Can you get the information back? And can you get immediate updates for, you know, new changes, and that that kind of brings in the COVID as as they are providing, or if the website is is um, available, or you know they're opening now uh, for you to submit your application, or they can take pre applications and then submit them once everything opens. Understanding how your bank works and making sure that you have the self service capabilities are absolutely critical. So I think the the notion of a bank relationship, there are different types of bank relationships that uh, individuals can have. I think the other, when we think about COVID, um, is that you are actually able to apply with multiple banks, right? And so I, I, um, I advise a couple of folks to apply to different banks. And with the, with the kicker being, make sure that the bank doesn't submit until they tell you. Because once you submit with one bank, you know, typically you want, that bank actually submits your application. You want to make sure that you're focused on that because it can send a fraud alert uh, in the broader process. So if you're, you know, banking with bank one, bank two, bank three, or you, you try and submit your application and they all submit it, that can, that can flag you as fraud. But what you want to do is it's, you know, make sure that you're getting your information out and for the bank that will work with you, once they say, yes, we're going to work with you, we're going to submit, then you want to, you know, focus in on them and tell the others that you're you're okay, you don't need to submit it uh, from that point of view. And I think the last piece is, you know, Zena and Aurelia mentioned on the community bank side, you know, I think this is an undertapped market. Community banks and other alternative lenders really undertap, particularly for those um, new majority uh, entrepreneurs and business owners. I think the personalized attention, the ability to walk you through the process, the ability to let you know hey, you don't have this information, can you provide this? Or you do have this information, we'll take it and you know, kind of help you through that process. That is critical. And right now, again, a lot of businesses are, this PPP is, is the difference between shutting down completely and, and you know, saying goodbye to your business or sustaining you to the point where you can actually make the adjustments you need and then get back into uh, growth, the growth side of the business. And and I also think one of the important notes here is it's not just about creating a relationship with your banker. That banker actually has to have some kind of power, right? So one of the things that we were reading is that 
for the larger banks, even for customers who had really long-standing relationships and knew the bank managers and had been banking there for years, those bank managers didn't have any power to do what was perhaps needed for those um, businesses because it was part of a larger structure. So it's just something to think about when we think about people and technology and processes are you interacting with somebody at a banking institution, let's say, that actually has the ability to get something done for you or or not? And, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about kind of, I mean, I just mean in the larger pop culture sense around, you know, is bigger better? Do some of these big um, companies need to be broken up? We've had that conversation in, in the sector of, you know, Apple and Google and Facebook and so forth. But I think in the banking sphere, we're seeing some some big holes in at least customer service and how we get money to who needs it when they really need it. Yeah, and I, and I think this, you know, so as, as we get information back from this, this second wave, um, you know, hopefully we'll see people who may not have gotten it the first wave eventually get it for the second. My fear is that those who didn't get it for the first will not get it for the second, but new people who actually apply in the second round may fare better. Um, and so I'm just hoping that, uh, you know, the the community banks, those who are working overtime, right? They're people who are now bringing folks on and they are standing to their mission of supporting their community and supporting the small businesses in their community. You know, if you're a small business, you wanna make sure that list that Aurelia mentioned going to the SBA site, they actually have a, it's a 563 page document of businesses across the nation that are um, supporting PPP and many of those businesses or many of those banks, I'm sorry, or financial institutions really have a mission towards uh, the community, uh, you know, that we tr typically support, which are the small businesses that are now the new majority. I do know for a fact, and I spoke with um, Mark Morial of the Urban League, that they've been on the Hill lobbying for small businesses, um, especially Black-owned businesses. So, Christina, I hope you're wrong. <laughs> I hope some of those um, businesses that did apply, uh, that didn't get it the first time, will get it the second time, because I know that's what led um, the Urban League to get heavily, heavily involved um, in this um, second round. And... We'll, we, we just have to wait and see what's going to happen once they um, open everything back yeah. up. Yeah, and, and, you know, let me clarify that that statement. Um, I, I hope so, too, right? Um, and one of my friends used to tell me, hope is not a strategy. I hope so, too. I think the other piece that I found in this process was there were some businesses that did not have their paperwork in order. So we go back to this whole idea of business fundamentals, right? And making sure that you can quickly identify, um, you know, and capture the information that's needed for the PPP. And again, I think some banks made it easier to actually do that uh, just in terms of their technology platform and solution. But th this brings up another piece for me as someone who advises a lot of, of small um women and minority-owned businesses is that, you know, this is why you've got to keep your, your taxes up to date. This is why you've got to make sure you're, um, you know, paying those fees that you need, that you're using some sort of uh, accounting software and tool so that 
in, in a quick time, you can get the information that you need. And so one of my commitments outside of this and, and as a, a byproduct of this is to really, you know, Aurelia and I and Zena, you too, we talk about knowing your numbers all the time. But now I want to go a step further, not just knowing your numbers, but having a system in place so that you can quickly pull information and, and provide it as needed so that you're not you know, waiting, even if it's two or three hours. In this case, that first wave, if you didn't have it ready to go and if a, a banker asked you a question, they were moving on to the next applicant. And so you wanna make sure that you are ready and primed and that you're not missing the opportunity because of something you don't have, that if you miss it, it is because of this, again, kind of the systemic issues. Uh, and, and that's something that hopefully will get fixed as, as we go Yeah, as and we go I guess um, in this vein of really promoting community banks, I think part of what I really appreciated about the process that I went through, particularly with Main Street Bank, was a couple different things. Number one, they were able to tell me, here's the information that we will take from you, but if you don't have that, then you can do this. And we were able to have a conversation about it as opposed to just upload this, and if you don't have it, too bad, right? Yeah. Um, yep, the algorithm algorithm already cuts you out because you don't have right. it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, secondly, I was able to know when the bank had reserved my money with the SBA. And that happened, you know, before, um, way before I actually, we actually got funded. So we knew that we had had the money reserved in the first tranche of monies, even if we hadn't been funded yet. And again, they were able to tell us that because I was talking to somebody who was at a level that was able to say, don't worry, you're taken care of. Um, and, and I think those kinds of real people conversations is something that I was really surprised and pleased with because it's just not something that has really happened before in my um, interactions with banks. And, and I've actually um, gotten an SBA loan through a Wells Fargo bank, wow, a really long time ago, I want to say more than 15 years ago now. And so, you know, there's processes and, and procedures in place at large banks that can help too, but this was a very different experience and it was, um, it was really appreciated. Yeah, I mean, I think nothing beats that um, the assurance, insurance, however you want to name it, of knowing that you truly have a banking partner right? It's someone who's going to catch those things that maybe as a business owner, you're not going to know, right? These new, and, and especially with the PPP, it seemed like every day the, the uh, you know, rules, regulations were changing. And so banks were adjusting in real time to what they were getting, right? So, and this is why I say it's, it's just so complicated. And, you know, I don't personally want to put blame on any side. I just want to say it, it, it was a cluster, right? It just, it, we weren't ready for it, yet it, it moved forward. I'm grateful for all the, the companies that were able to get funding. And this second one, I am expecting that more uh, smaller companies, women minority-owned companies will see a bulk of this funding. If not, we're, this is going to, this is, this is going to be an issue and we've got to be ready for that. And Christina, I agree with you that we got to get our ish, I'm quoting one of my clients, she uses that, ish together. We need to have our paperwork. We should know where, uh, you know, how to get our hands on certain things when it's being asked for. Um, and because I know as a small business owner, we get so caught up 
working in our business, we forget about, you know, working on our business. And that's that structure, that financial, that infrastructure that we put together within our business. And you're right, it's more than just you got to know your numbers. You really got to get your ish together and build a solid structure. There are a lot of unknowns. And, and, you know, one of the things that we've been doing uh, for Get Found, Get Funded is um, doing whiteboards and wine with uh, different businesses who would like to leverage kind of the uh, different talents, resources that the three of us have collectively as you're going through your pivot and whether that's looking at how to maximize revenue right now, how to pivot, um, what you may need, um, you know, in order to do better marketing or PR. Um, and then I think because of the experience we've all had with the PPP, uh, it's also certain things that you may want to think about um, and put in order so that you're most successful. Um, our, our role, and I think what we all want to do collectively moving forward, is to help preserve the businesses, especially those businesses that have uh, kind of their pulse on the community and that are really coming up with products and services that are advancing our community and that are advancing different industries. And so collectively, we just want to make sure that our listeners, you all know that we are here to support. And if you have questions, you know, please reach out to us as a resource. And you can reach out to us online um, by email at getfound.getfunded at gmail.com. And if you want to learn more about what we're doing with Whiteboard and Wine um, and any other questions that you may have um, going through this, not only just the PPP process, but just getting through this unprecedented pandemic um, that we're going through right now, uh, just just helping you survive this storm. And you will survive. I, I really believe a lot of us are going to come out of this stronger. And we are going to be, we're going to have our, our business structure um, more in place. So I'm, I'm taking this pandemic as an opportunity to really focus in on my structure of my business. And as I said earlier, and that's um, that's one of my takeaways um, uh, from this pandemic. Just as an aside, we had, um, as, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Community Bank is a locally owned and operated financial institution, um, but some community banks are also CDFIs. Right. And, you know, I, I think I, the CDFIs have played such a critical role, particularly when focused on uh, financial services for low-income communities, uh, people who lack access to financing, typically those underserved uh, small businesses or individuals that one we typically work with and those that we found left out of the first phase of the PPP. Um, So, you know, I think for our listeners, we do have a show, as Aurelia just mentioned, uh, where we spoke with um, Harold Pettigrew from the Washington Area Community Development Financial Institute's uh, WACIF um, CDFI, and they will give you a little bit more uh, information on a CDFI, but uh, CDFIs can be community development banks, they can be credit unions, they can be loan funds, they can be venture capital funds, um, they can be a microenterprise development loan fund, um, but they're really typically set up to provide the flexibility that typically low income or um, underserved entrepreneurs, small businesses need to 
not only survive, but grow, sustain, particularly in an economy like this? Well, thank you, Christina and Aurelia, for that excellent explanation on what our community banks, what our CDFIs. Um, I'm learning along this process <laughs> as well. And congrats to you, Aurelia, um, for you to, you know, you kept trying, you hung in there. I, I gave up and I said, okay, I'm just not going to do this ag again. So now that the second round is opening up, I do plan on applying and I am curious to see what happens. And I'm not going through my bank. I'm going to go through a different bank. So I hope this conversation helps you um, in your journey as an entrepreneur in this um, COVID era. <laughs> and uh, if you have any more questions, as I said, please um, send us an email or visit getfoundgetfunded.com. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us.